Comp Day, the podcast supporting young professionals of color. I'm your host, Dre. Welcome back. Um, you guys still didn't leave me, so something's going right. Um, I'm really excited about this episode today. It's going to be um, much more responsible than usual. <laughs> so this episode, um, and the title may change, but it's going to basically undocumented work visas and this ratchet-ass government. So um, I brought someone who's pretty dope in the studio today. Um, I reached out, and he said yes. Um, so this is pretty cool. It was like a cold call <laughs> interview. Um, I'm going to allow him to introduce himself. If you can tell the audience your name, um, how you identify ethnically, culturally, and any other identities you hold, and then what you do for a living or what you study. Okay. Uh, well, thank you for having me. Um, my name's Luis, um, and I am Mexican. I was born in Mexico, uh, raised in Texas, and I've uh, been in New York for about four or five years now. Um, I currently study not far from here, actually, at uh, Borough Manhattan Community College. Um, I'm studying business administration um, and uh, with a major in economics. Um, I also work full time. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it for now. So you're trying to take over. You're trying to get money. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. Everyone everyone says that. But <clears throat> I um, w- one of the main reasons why I decided to study economics was um, because I think that there is a large uh, uh, disparity, right, in our um, sort of uh, 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 the wealth uh, within here in America and just across the world. So my goal is actually to um, work in government at some day um, to sort of help uh, draft policies um, and that are more uh, sort of uh, fair um, to um, the underrepresented community. So, so the responsible economics. The okay. responsible, yeah, the responsible <laughs> side of it, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's what's up. Um, so as we know in the United States, especially now, and people think that we're more progressive just because we had President Obama in office, mm-hmm. and that, as we've seen, is not true. Right. Um, in terms of folks who are not citizens, for some reason it becomes this very black and white issue when it's more of a gray issue. Right. Um, and it has a lot to do with the way policies have been led, um, discriminatory policies, right. um, partitions, including like changes in access for different groups of people. So I want to ask you, can you tell the audience about the difference between being undocumented, mm-hmm. having DACA, or and being a resident in the United States? Yeah. So um we'll start we'll start with DACA, right? So DACA um <clears throat> and it's um I think a lot of people get it confused. DACA um is not a status, right? So um DACA stands for deferred um action deferred deferred act deferred action for early childhood arrivals right so it was an executive action um that was signed by president obama i believe in 2012 um and what it does is essentially um it provides the the first deportation for whomever qualifies right um, some of the qualifications is that you had to have been in the United States for, I believe, a certain amount of years. Um, you had to have um, came to the United States before a certain age. Um, and you had to either served or uh, served or currently serve in the military uh, or um, have gotten education here, whether it was high school or college. Um, so there was a lot of criteria. And, of course, um, have no criminal record. Um so there was a lot, a lot, a lot of the criteria sort of narrowed the group that qualified down to um, 
a younger group, right? So a lot of the people that did qualify or have DACA um, are mostly kids that are known to a lot of people as dreamers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, th- uh, so it's a lot of a lot of people that have DACA are people that are in school or were in school and graduated. Um, so what DACA does is again it defers deportation for whomever has it. It provides a work permit that has to be renewed every two years. Um, and it allows people to travel domestically without um, sort of the fear of, um, you know, being deported or um, uh, 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 harassed by, you know, uh, uh, ICE. Um, however, um, you have to uh, continue to qualify for DACA and you have to continue to renew it. And it can be essentially taken away at any given time, which we saw with um, the recent actions of uh, President Donald Trump when he decided to um, essentially take away DACA. And I, uh, um, he was taken to court by uh, several states, and then um, it's now in the lingo. So the, federal, the, 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 la- the, la- the last um, sort of decision that was given was by a federal court that said that the administration did not have they, they they said that the administration had the authority to end it because it is an executive action, so the executive branch can end it. However, they said that the way that they went about it was incorrect. So the federal court said that DACA must stay in place. However, that the federal government is not allowed to accept any new applications. So what's happening now is that whoever has DACA is okay. They can continue to renew it. But anyone that didn't apply for it previously can't apply for it anymore. Um, so that's what DACA is. Um, being undocumented um, is essentially anyone that does not have documents. <laughs> so uh, doesn't have U.S. citizenship, uh, doesn't have uh, U.S. residency, doesn't have um, TPS, which is a temporary protection status, Um you know, even DACA, if you don't have DACA, you will consider yourself undocumented. So it's essentially anyone that um, has no, I guess you could say, legal status here in the United States. Um, and then you have uh, what we said is uh, green card holders, right? Which is essentially. Residents. Yeah, the residents, which is anyone that, you know, um, went through the process, um, whether here in the United States or in their home country, to obtain their residency. Um, and you can, you know, you don't have to um, do anything with that. You Once you are given your residency, so long as you don't commit, like, a heinous crime, crime um, <laughs> you're, you're fine. And after five years of having your residency, uh, you qualify to um, apply for your citizenship. Yeah. Um, and then you have to go through an application. You have to pay uh, a fee. Um, you have to take it like seven, eight hundred dollars. Yes. And then you have to you have to take a test, and the test asks you about like the president and the constitution. You know, um, and if you successfully complete all of that, then you get your um, your your U.S. citizenship. Um, but those are sort of the the differences between um, being undocumented, um, having DACA status, and being a U.S. resident. And I want to touch upon the fact also um, a, a high population of folks who are undocumented are technically asylum seekers, but they're just not granted asylum seeking status. Right. So, um, <clears throat> um, yes. Yeah, so uh, again, anyone, I guess, um, anyone that comes to the United States 
So that that's that's it's very complicated. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, anyone that comes to the United States, right, seeking asylum uh, per international laws, the United States must hear their case, right. Um, however, what we're seeing with the Trump administration is that we're seeing them sort of um, wind down um, the uh, you know the the asylum sort of. Um, permits or you know that they're given out um so we're seeing him sort of take an approach that is um more conservative i guess you could say and um sort of discouraging to people that want to seek asylum here in the united states but yeah when you come here what 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 was what the obama administration had before was the uh, catch and release so essentially anyone that made made it to you know was able to touch u.s soil um, and they said they were seeking asylum. They were um, processed by uh, the Department of Homeland Security. You know, their photographs, fingerprints, all that stuff was taken, um, and they were given a court date, and then they were released. Because you're not supposed to be detained. Exactly. Well, yeah, you know, in a sense, yeah. But uh, we're detaining people. We days. are detaining people. <laughs> Which is um, very against all the agreements <clears throat> we've made. Right. Uh, the, the worst part about that is that... Um, we have now um, what we've seen with, like, the family separations at the U.S.-Mexico border. Um, and what's happening now is that the um, the Trump administration has, in a sense, you can say strong-armed the um, López Obrador, uh, which is the, the president of Mexico, um, his administration, into um, s- making asylum seekers that are coming through the U.S.-Mexico border wait their case out in Mexico. Right. Which is not what used to happen. And it's not a lot of legal experts are arguing that that's not what should be happening because you're seeking asylum in the U.S., not in Mexico. So in a sense, Mexico has no responsibility to these asylum seekers because they're not seeking asylum in Mexico. They're seeking asylum here in the United States. So it's the responsibility of the United States and um you know, as a as as a as a country, to allow these individuals to stay here in the U.S. while their cases are being um, processed. You know, and, um, but it, that's not what's happening right now. Um, but again, like you know, it's all a systematic issue because if you're an asylum seeker from perhaps a different color skin, then the process it's a lot different. I'm, a majority of the white people here, their ancestors are asylum seekers. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just very interesting how um, the people who run the government, their ancestors who are asylum, pretty much, yeah. Because if, if you're not from, if you're not native to the land, which is usually indigenous folks mm-hmm. or even people who are Mexican or Chicano mm-hmm. or immigrated here as a slave, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. you are most likely descend from an asylum seeker. Right. Um, so kind of pivoting to the fact that, so there's a lot of young people who are now um, gaining access to university and college who are undocumented. Yes. However, they're not eligible for many scholarships or aid. Yes. But there's a lot of, the narrative is growing upon, oh, you can be undocumented and go to school, but then they don't really talk about what happens during to support yourself and then what happens after. Right. When you graduate, they don't really say, oh, this is the path you can take and it's like no there's a very specific situation that folks are experiencing and, and there's not a ton of resource or at least public resources so can you kind of elaborate on like what you've seen or what you've experienced or like kind of like what what happens after right so um myself um i 
just to give you guys a little of a background story, I was six years old when my mother brought me here to the United States, right, uh, from Mexico. So um, I grew up in Texas, um, went to school, public school, um, you know, did, played with kids, like did everything that any other, um, you know, child here in America would do. Um, I know no other home the United States, right? Um, and that is not because me at six years old constantly said one day that, hey, I'm across the border, right? It was a decision that my mom took on my behalf, um, and she had her reasons, right? Uh, Mexico was um, very bad at that time, economically and socially, um, and she did what she, any mother would do, I think, right? She um, made a decision that she felt was in the best interests for herself and for her children. You know, she's a single mother of five boys. <laughs> so um, when I came to the United States, um, you know, been here since I was six years old, I myself am, I am undocumented. I don't hold DACA status. I don't have a green card. I don't have U.S. citizenship. So I am completely vulnerable to, um, you know, uh, 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 detention and deportation and all of that. But um, what happens is that, you know, um, Colleges, um, universities, whether public or private, cannot deny anyone access to go to school, right? So the right to go to school is there, right? So you can literally, so long as obviously the college accepts <laughs> you, <laughs> but um, you as an individual, regardless of your status, can go to school. Right now, the tricky part, obviously, is how do you pay for school? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, great, you're accepted. Now here's a five thousand dollar bill. Um, and so because of um, if, you know, because a lot of times people in our positions um, and something I want to clear up is people that have DACA do not do not get financial assistance. So a lot of people were under the impression that because you had DACA, you qualified for FAFSA and financial aid from the federal government. That is not a fact. That is incorrect. So even someone that holds DACA status um, has to find a way to pay for school um, in their, within their own means. So a lot of times what you see is either people pay out of pocket um, or people, you know, try to find scholarships that will either cover their tuition or at least cover um, some part of their tuition. Um, so, uh, so, so, yeah. So that's that's what um, that's what happens when you when you go to school, right? And I think we, if anyone that's gone to college knows that the process of applying to college is difficult in itself, right? You have to fill out all these applications. <laughs> you have to go to the bursar's office, financial aid office, and all these other processes that, you know, are very complex. Especially first-generation college. Exactly, exactly. It gets even harder. <laughs> it gets very hard because you don't have that, you know, who, who do you ask? Hey, how do you fill this form out? You know, it's very intimidating. So then throw on top of that trying to figure out how to pay for school, right? Um, so, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of, I know, you know, a lot of people pay for it out of their own pocket um, or some qualify for scholarships. The good thing is that, um, I believe here in New York and even uh, across, you know, the United States, um, I would say probably in more uh, what you would consider liberal states, uh, California, um, you know, here in New York, Jersey um, and stuff of that nature, Washington, you have a lot of organizations that um, rose up um, and have, you know, uh, put together resources to provide scholarships for students that are seeking a higher education for themselves. So there are organizations out there, there are resources available for 
you to pay for college or if, if you know to help you pay for college but you know a lot of times this is this is also you know it's real life it's when you're undocumented or when you sort of come from this background you're not you don't have the luxury of sort of you know not working or you don't have the luxury of just dedicating yourself completely to school a lot of people have to work full-time while trying to juggle school or help their parents financially or um you know they have kids so a lot of times the scholarships um can be a burden because they do require for you to hold a certain gpa for you to participate for you to be uh, involved in workshops and stuff of that nature so a lot of people sort of shy away from applying for the scholarships for that very same reason too because they can become a little demanding so um you know and they require you to be a full-time student you know a lot, a lot of scholarships don't pay for for part-time students and you know who you know not a lot of people want to take you know 12 15 credits um, so you know it it it's it can be challenging, um, but there are some resources available. So that's that's sort of what you know. At least myself, that's what I've done. Um, I have when I, I remember when I first applied for college, I sort of just told I paid for out of pocket at least for my first two semesters, which is badass for some, for a young person. <laughs> it's not easy. I don't think people. I think people hear these um, stories of like grit and like oh, someone's, like, self-made or they've done all this work, and I don't think folks understand how much actually that takes, especially if it's, like, if you're the first to do it. It's not like you have someone showing you how to do it. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely not easy. I I think people, um, it's easier to look at the accomplishment and um, then the the struggle to get to the accomplishment, right? So a lot of people just, they look at the medal, but they don't look at the the, the hard work that went to to earn that medal. But... um, so, but yeah, so um, myself, I, I paid for it out of, uh, out of pocket at first. And then once I actually got into school, um, I was, you know, luckily enough to meet people that were in my same, that shared a, a very similar story that were in the same position that I was. And they shared resources that they had um, available. Um, they shared the names of organizations and they shared um, scholarships that were currently opened. And um, so I you know, I applied for my first scholarship. I remember, um, I remember, you know, being granted the scholarship. It wasn't a lot. It was $500, um, but it was something. Um, and from there, just sort of, um, I, I became more exposed, more involved in my community. Um, and the more that I did, the more that I learned about the resources available and I learned about other organizations, um, I now have four scholarships. Um, Congratulations. You know, thank the Lord. Thank you. <laughs> um, that helped pay for my tuition. Um, but not everyone is as lucky or as, you know, blessed. Um, there are people that there are people that have better GPAs than I do, and they're still paying out of pocket. You know what I mean? Be, uh, so because you have a large population of people that need this financial assistance and not enough of the money going around. So, um, but yeah, so, you know, it's a... Uh, it's tough, but that that is how I've done it, and that is how I know other people have done it. Um, and you know, CUNY, I think CUNY, it's um, they've been an ally in a sense because they they do have um, um, support and they do have resources, um, and they they have become um, aware of the situation and they found ways to um, provide scholarships to people in our position when that wasn't an option before so do you know folks that like let's say they graduate now they have their degree 
right. what's next? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, and they want to go into a certain career, but because of the strict um, yeah. regulations that are on employers, right? I believe the law is that an employer is not allowed to knowingly hire, hire someone. someone who is undocumented, Correct. but they can hire someone who's undocumented if they don't know. Right. So, um, what under the Bush administration, um, what uh, there was this program that was created that's called E Verify, right? So, um, E Verify is um, essentially a program within the Department of Homeland Security that an employer can go easily access online um, to verify that your documents and that the information that you're providing to the employer is actually. correct information, right? So a lot of large corporations use E-Verify. Um, so it is harder to find work sometimes. It's definitely not possible to find or harder, a lot harder to find work with organizations or companies that use E-Verify because okay. once you provide your the information that, you know, like show security number, your name, date of birth, and all of that, they're going to put that in that database. And, if, and it's going to tell that company whether it belongs to you, it does not belong to you, whether it's real or it's fake. So um, a lot of times, you know, um, when you graduate college and you you have a degree in, like, childhood education or, you know, you um, in practice in law or medicine, um, you know, I know a lot of people that shied away from studying medicine because they were like, well, what am I going to do after I graduate? You know, I don't want to spend the last four years studying for something that I'm not going to be able to, you know, make any income of after I graduate. So um, that is definitely in the minds of people when they're in school. Um, it's what's going to be next because we we don't know, right? So, um what what people you know so yeah so essentially is um a company cannot hire someone knowingly if they're undocumented right um however when you go to apply for a job if you provide documents the company itself is not in the position to question those documents yeah they don't have to you know what i mean so yeah um and if the company doesn't use e-verify then essentially they take your word for it and you know you that's how you you know land a job <laughs> and they're not liable i think a they're lot of not. folks don't realize that um employers can't be fined or taken to court because they as long as they can prove that they didn't know right know, yeah there's nothing that can happen right yeah <laughs> and there's a lot of employers i think that are some of them trying to move in that direction being a little more um socially responsible saying like okay well we know we're barring people for all these different reasons right. let's change the way we're hiring right yeah um you know i i I think you know um definitely a company i guess in a sense it's not liable if they didn't knowingly (laughs) hire someone (laughs) um but at the end of the day those companies you know you know but there's still that risk of being caught right and that's a that's a very scary it's a very scary thing because when that happens, um, yeah, the company might not be held liable, but that individual will. That individual yes. can be held liable. That individual can be taken to court. That individual can be charged with false documentation, identity theft. Like they can throw so much stuff which at you. Which are high misdemeanors at times or even turn to felonies. Exactly. Which- 
So a lot of people shy away even from doing that because they know that they're scared of the risk that comes with it. Um, you know, I don't know if you guys saw, but just recently in um, near Dallas, Texas, there was a, a, one of the largest um, immigration raid, um, raids in, um, in a tech company. Yeah, because the tech field is pretty good yeah. at being open to folks who are not documented, right. folks who are residents who may have expired work visas, and mm-hmm. they're like, "We're not going to discriminate." But right. They're now atta- attacking yeah. tech companies, and it's and it's it's it was shocking when I read it because you hear about when you know, excuse me, when you hear about raids happening, you hear about them happening at like a farm or like a factory or you know, uh, you know, sort of like these more of a of a manual labor organizations and this one was quite shocking to me because it it showed how ice is sort of moving away and sort of just not moving away but they are 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 becoming more sophisticated in a sense when it, when it comes to attacking our community right and um the fact that they raided a tech company was pretty wild to me but um to answer to to sort of get back to it uh, some some of the ways that people can um can work after they gra- they graduate if they don't have status is um I've known a lot of people that open an LLC Mm-hmm. Right, which is a limited liability uh, company or corporation. Um, essentially, to open a LLC, um, you don't. You, all you need to open an LLC is a um, uh, 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 individual. Um, so, what is it called? It's a ITIN, which is an individual oh. taxpayer indiv- uh, number. Number which right. everyone gets, and I, I think, exactly. I don't think people realize undocumented people also pay taxes, we which do. is yes, insane. And we why get nothing back. <laughs> financial aid or nothing. It's insane that yeah. people don't know that. Yes, if you're a resident or undocumented, no matter what you're, so no long as you're what, working, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think they force everyone. The of IRS course. is like you have to apply for a number, um, IRS number, but the IRS doesn't. Um, if the IRS knows you're undocumented, they do not report you. To, but there's things that are getting funny now because they're. I think Trump has an appointee now for IRS, and right. I, IRS usually had a very like um, laissez-faire um, mm-hmm. relationship with the government in terms of like um, reporting folks. But now that we don't know what's going on these days, right? Um, yeah. So the the ITIN number is an individual taxpayer identification number that. Anyone can obtain. You don't have to get it because if you are a U.S. resident, uh, you know, U.S. resident or U.S. citizenship, you have your Social Security number. So that that is yeah. your number, right? So, But generally, the uh, ITIN number is what individuals like myself would get because that's what you use to file taxes at the end of the year. Um, and that's what you, what you would use. That's what people use to open bank accounts. Um, that's what a lot of people use for legal documentation, right? Uh, you know, you have people that buy houses, buy cars, um, open up businesses. They do all of that with an ITIN number because the ITIN number is very important because that's the number that allows you to file taxes, right? Um, so and a, a lot, I've seen a lot of people after they graduate, they open up their LOC, right, with an ITIN number. And essentially, when they go to work, they themselves aren't working. The company is, right? Mm-hmm. So it's example if let's say you own the business, I you know I will come to you and I say, hey, um, this is who I am, right? Um, I have these expertise. Um, I would like to work with you or for you, right? When you hire me or if you hire me, you're not hiring me. 
right? You're not hiring Luis. You're hiring the LLC. my company, which it's completely legal. And it protects you. And it, yeah, you know, and it's and it's completely legal. There's nothing funny. There's nothing sketchy about it at all. Um, and that's how I've seen a lot of people sort of go to work um, after they graduate. Um, however, you know, it's not something that you can just, you know, like walk up to Goldman Sachs and say, hey, I'm going to be a consultant for you. Um, you know, um, but so you have to you still have to keep that in mind and you have to be able to maneuver what organizations you're doing it with. But especially here in New York and, you know, across the U.S., it's becoming a more of a common thing um, to do. Um, that's that's how I seen what I've also seen is um, while you, people are in school like myself, um, what 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 I've done or what I what what some of my my peers have done is that we work at organizations that pay us via stipends or via scholarships mm-hmm. right so what they do is that they'll pay my campus right so they'll um let's say that I'm working for a nonprofit right um and um I do you know a certain amount of hours and they've agreed to pay me a certain amount of uh, of money right instead of paying me directly you know, with a check or cash or whatever, they're going to pay my school, right? So they're going to send a check to my school and tell my school this is for, you know, this individual and it's money to pay for his tuition, Mm -hmm. right? Then what the school does is the school pays your tuition, but if there is no tuition to be paid, then the school reimburses you that money, (laughs) right? Which is very, yeah, very strategic. (laughs) (laughs) And again, completely legal, nothing sketchy about it. Um, Excuse me, um, but this has this. The, these are some of the tactics and sort of some of the ways that um, we have gone about um, um, earning money and earning some sort of income for ourselves. And um, to go back to the taxes aspect of it, we we very much pay taxes. You know, at, and I think that you know immigration has been a conversation that's been going on in this country for many many years. You know, we are seeing it's it's more on the spotlight right now because of the current administration that we have. But you know, Obama had the highest deportation um, yeah. numbers. He had the highest in you know, modern history. Yeah. Um, some advocates even called him the deportation chief, right? So, like, l- l- you know, let's not forget that at the end of the day, it's it's not, it is who holds the the, the office and, and, and Congress and the executive branch, but these are all just systematic policies that have been in place for a really long time. And we've seen it in the course of the history of America that it's it's not, it's just political, you know? It's political and, and it's... um. And it's about cheap labor. Because the right? last time I think the last president we had, this wasn't really an issue. It was like Jimmy Carter. Right. And that's been a long time. That's been <laughs> that a very been long, a long time. time. He's actually still alive. Um, <laughs> he's, one, he's amazing. Yeah. One of the most hum, uh, humbling presidents we've had. Um, but, you know, I, you know, you hear a lot of people. You hear Trump. You heard Obama. You heard Bush. You heard Clinton. You hear all these people talk about fixing our immigration system and doing like an, an immigration reform. But. At the end of the day, it's not in their best interest to do so because why why would you legalize a group of people that are working for cheap, paying taxes, and aren't getting anything back? Like we contribute to this economy in ways that a lot of people don't understand, yeah. right? Like we buy houses. We shop where, where everyone else shops. We pay taxes. We pay, we buy cars. We have mortgages. We have loans. You know, we have all of these things that, that and we're actually probably a population of a of of a lower risk 
Because we don't want to get ourselves into any trouble. <laughs> yeah, there's, so. a, there's a lot of myths, I think, around undocumented folks. And, like, I just don't understand why his, in histor- historically there have been tons of Europeans who are undocumented or had expired work visas, and then they helped transition them. Traditionally, a lot of Eastern Europeans, Italians, Irish people, and they've been able to transition them into um, United States as citizens. I... I don't know. It's like it's weird when all I can think of is it's discriminatory and it's racist at this point. It's like there's no because you've done it before. You've done this before. And I don't understand why it's so hard this time because you can't assimilate this group of people into whiteness. Right. So my mom's um, my mom immigrated to from Jamaica to mm-hmm. the United States when she was like eight mm-hmm. but she came during a period of time when they were, had a demand for Caribbean people with trades right she was a resident until I think the year before I was born okay and um she wasn't married to my dad at that point yet so it wasn't like she could transition over to citizenship through marriage mm-hmm. so um but that was a different time and things were easier I think in government wise right Things are different now in folks who I have a friend, a dear friend of mine, um, she's not European. Right. She came here in high school, but then her um and she went to college, but right. then her um visa expired. She couldn't work for a whole year. Mm-hmm. So she had to also create an LLC. Right. Um and kind of do what she needed to do. And then they got renewed, but mm-hmm. temporarily renewal. And then she was working, but then she sat in the application and the application is taking forever and her lawyer was like my white clients, it happens on time right. for, you know, they see your name and right. they don't want to do it or they see where you're from. Right. So now she's in a situation at times, I think she's fine now, but there was a one point where she was not technically legal, legal to work. Mm-hmm. But then when you're a resident, you can't necessarily leave. So you're right. kind of stuck and they say, well, you, you have to stay for your um, case, but you can't work. And it's like, right. how are you supposed to survive? Then? Exactly. Um, it's just crazy. <laughs> it is, you know, uh, and uh, Again, it's just it goes back to like you know, like you said, just uh, uh, it's a it's a systematic you know effort. I think, in my opinion, um, because it's it's unreasonable to ask someone to stay here and sort of not earn any income um, while they're here. Um, but you know, it's again, I think yeah, times have definitely changed, and it's more of a political issue now more than anything. Um, but yeah. So what if you can um share what do you what can people like myself, like allies who are not undocumented, folks who are um citizens, um, who want to support our brothers and sisters who are undocumented or residents, yeah. um what can we do? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um it's funny. I think that um in I I'll I'll speak broadly. I think anyone that is in a position of power or privilege should always help someone that is underrepresented, right? So, and, and I mean this in the sense of like whether the individual is documented or undocumented, right? Whether the individual is, you know, of a same color skin or a different color skin. Um, because I think that at the end of the day, we're, we, we aren't, so different and we probably are rocking in the same boat (laughs) but um ways that people can help um i think sometimes definitely um being there 
for your friends. Like if you have any friends that are in that position, um, being understanding to their situation, right? Um, you know, I was I was having a conversation the other day with um with this lovely lady, um, and we were talking about how the Trump administration, you know, how it's been it's been a complete sort of switch from the Obama years, right? Obama was very more lax and we have now Trump which is very more like constantly attacking the community, right? Um publicly. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and you know, not yes, the 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 stuff that he's doing affects people, you know, physically, you know, um whether it is by holding people in detention camps or uh, at the US Mexico border under bridges. Um, or separating families that's 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 physical harm and change that we're seeing in people right but then there's also the 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 psychological sort of um aspect of it that goes in it right like children that are being separated from their mothers uh, and being kept in camps that lord knows where they're at like that's that right there is again that's a, that's that child is gonna be scarred right so when you hear in the news all of these reports and all of these raids happening, you know, by ICE, like, that affects people like myself. You know, when you read about it in the news, like, my peers, you know, like, when you, when when your parents aren't stable, right? Like, that, that, all of that has a, a bigger effect, you know, emotionally for people. So, I've, I know a lot of, a lot of my friends, right, um, that they can't travel foreign right or some you know they can't travel out of the country so a lot of times uh we we forget you know when you're like in a large group of friends let's see like you're you're planning and spring that break did, and that that's happened we yeah. were like oh let's do a trip and then my friend was like that's when i think she admitted it to me right. and i was like oh and i, was I like, can't and i was like okay i understand because i was like i have some family they can't leave yeah <laughs> <laughs> like especially if they some of them have committed some crimes and they're not citizens yeah. or like yeah, because if you're a resident and commit a crime, you might as well. The, you can't leave. They right. Will, they will. They won't. Or if you leave, they won't let you come back. Right. So I think I think you know being conscious of the way we speak of what we say um, is very important because you know th- the smallest sometimes you know things that we don't think about can cause a trigger in someone. Right. So it's something as simple as like, oh my God, let's go to um, you know. DR this summer, like, you know, and you forget or you don't know that your friend isn't in a position to travel out of the country. That in itself, like, is going to be tough for them because they're like, oh, man, like, all my friends are going to go. Like, I'm not going to be able to go. What am I going to tell them? Should I tell them now? Like, you know what I mean? And now that so that that be so uh, an ally is someone being someone that is understanding of, of, of their situation, of their position. Right. Um, If. When I said, you know, um, if you're in the position of power and a position of privilege, like if you are someone that has resources that can be useful to to your peers, let them know that they're there and to reach out to you in any way um, possible when they need them. Right. Like I had um, um, a, a good friend. She she's the co-director of one of the organizations that I'm going to share with you guys later. But um, she was looking for a space um, to host a, um, a fundraiser. Mm-hmm. Right. And I work I, I work at a restaurant. So I immediately reached out to her. So I was like, hey, I can talk to my boss. You know, you need space. We have space like no, we won't charge you at all. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I got you. You know, she's looked out for me a lot. So I, that was one of those instances where I, you know, I jumped in and I said, hey, I can help sort of 
feel this need that you have, right, to 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 um, to help the cause that that she's fighting for. So that's that's another example, right? Um, you know, and I think just just um, I think just I think the, the the most important part is is just being there um, because you don't know how quick someone's life can change, right? Um, and when 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 Trump first came into office, right, in twenty sixteen. Yeah. Right, yeah, 2016. Um, my younger brother was living with me at the time. We were living living um here in Brooklyn, um, and he was he was probably maybe was 17 years old at the time, um, 17, 18, and uh, this was two years ago. So maybe I was what 23, 22, 23. Um, so I remember vividly the day that um you know Trump got uh, elected and we immediately st- started seeing this like you know um aggressive approaches to immigration and and the 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 muslim ban that went into effect and the all of that chaos that that was caused at airports of people not being allowed into the country or stuck or stuck you know um even people that had status you know they, it was just it was a big mess and it was very scary very frightening um so I remember having a conversation with my brother and telling him that if anything were to happen to me, these were the steps that he needed to take, right? These were the people that he needed to contact. And I had to have a conversation with my 17-year-old brother about who to open the door for, who not to open the door for. Um, And that was very tough, right? So um, I think as an ally, just being understanding and just always being there and, and knowing that these policies and you know this administration can very much change someone's life in a split second and when that does happen just being there and and knowing how to help so to kind of close out a bit i i've seen that in hollywood and television and just in public narrative there are um things coming out to share more of like the reality and human experience of folks who are undocumented and kind of to educate people because like myself i didn't know what undocumented was i just knew like i had family some family who didn't have papers right and then i didn't fully understand what their reality was Mm -hmm. i was just like oh they can't travel all the time but i didn't know the full implications and i also didn't know like like my i don't think my grandmother's a citizen until obama administration Mm. so like i knew i was like oh i know my family can't vote but i didn't know the implications that happened to different people renewing renewals and stuff like that so to kind of share with folks, what are some resources both for folks who are um, dealing with these experiences, don't know what to do, and then folks like allies like myself who want to know how to more one learn mm-hmm. and to do better. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I I always whoever is in the position like uh, undocumented or, or or doesn't have status, anyone that is in the position that if they run into ICE they could be detained i encourage that individual to always carry someone's like lawyer card like you need to have a lawyer in hand you need to know who to call right um i know in these days we don't memorize people's numbers because they're (laughs) saved in our phones memorize someone's number because you're not going to have your phone with you if you like get detained um so memorize someone's number so you can call most importantly, as an individual that's here in the United States, whether you have status or not, you have rights. Yes. You don't have to answer 
anyone's questions. Okay, so if some if 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 I don't I don't care if it's immigration that comes up to you, you don't have to share a thing with them. You have the right to remain silent. Silence, right? So knowing your rights, um, New York's actually very good at this. I remember when after Trump got elected, we saw actually posters in the subways about know your rights. You know, um, so New York actually I think has workshops where um, and resources online where you can know your legal rights as to what and what not to do if you're approached by immigration. Um, as an ally, knowing what to do if your friend is in that position, right? Um, knowing who to call, knowing um, who to reach out to. There's a lot of organizations that provide free legal advice um, um, for people that, that might be in, in, in bad situations. And we're also going to um, – the resources will also be left on the description. Yes. So for folks, um, just look at the episode description and you can also find it there. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll share it with you. You know, there's a lot of organizations um, and, you know, the, the there's – I'll name a few, right? Um, but uh, I'll name two. Uh, but Make the Road – and Hispanic Federation, right? Um, they, they, uh, Hispanic Federation is actually not far from here, and I do a lot of work with them. And Make the Road, they, I think they have offices here in New York and in Brooklyn. And they do their main job is to advocate for people in our positions, to provide free legal work, and to um, you know provide the resources necessary. So, knowing where these places are and how to get in contact with them is very important. And I'll share that with you, so you mm-hmm. can share with your uh, with your listeners. Thank you. Anything else? Um, anything you want folks to leave with? Um, I mean, just <laughs> um, just understanding that at the end of the day, a lot of the people that are here, um, undocumented, they didn't. They either didn't choose this; their parents chose it for them, or if they did, they had no choice. You know, um, no one wants to leave their home country and start completely from scratch. No one wants to do that. No one leaves where their ancestors and their parents and their entire family came from just because they're bored. Like people are doing this out of necessity. People are doing this because they are in dire and in very bad situations. And I think as, again, as a country of privilege and that's a country of a lot of resources we need to understand that we should be helping each other out and um just know that no we don't come here to take no one's jobs we don't come here to steal no one's coins um we're here to make a better life for ourselves uh to be good citizens and to contribute to the community um and that's all we want well, thank you, Luis, for um, your time, for sharing your truth. And um, listeners, you heard everything you need to hear. So <laughs> um, check out the sources. Um, please share this with your friends, family, um, anyone. And we're going to clock out. Cool. Thank you for having me again. You're welcome. <laughs>